Forgotten Flicks, episode 34, RoboCop, 
and uh, all its sequels and uh, and remakes. There's also The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and all the versions that uh, it exists. There's the Walt Disney, there's the Jeff Goldblum version, there's the Brent Carver version, uh, the Shelley Duvall version, so uh, several Sleepy Hollows that you could check out. Uh, a couple of modern movies based on uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, The Hollow, um, Night of the Headless Horseman, Curse of the Headless Horseman, The Headless Horseman, uh, several of those. And one of my personal favorites uh, is a, a movie called Slugs that I saw on USA Saturday Nightmares. And it has a little bit where there's a Halloween party. Once Bitten with Jim Carrey also has a, a Halloween party in it. So uh, all of those, maybe you want to you think about throwing a couple of those into your uh, spooky flick fest and uh, allow us to vote on some of them so that you're actually having some, some Halloween fare uh, during the Halloween month. Thanks, guys. Well, Doug, thank you very much, and that is a, a good point. However, however, I don't mean to <laughs> completely geek out on you here. Um, <laughs> Lady in White, which was one of our choices, actually has a Halloween time period theme to it. So, mm. But I would also like to point out, absolutely nobody voted for it. So, so Doug, <laughs> See, nobody voted I, for the movie that had Halloween. I'm just saying, but he I makes told a good you point. Should have put Pumpkinhead in there. Well, Pumpkin does Pumpkinhead take place during Halloween? No, but a Pumpkin. Hello. Oh my god, that's that's a stretch. First, and also the the other thing I have to say, re, regu, regular horror movies. <laughs> um, I, I like to just reiterate <laughs> or just iterate the first time. Um, we had Phantasm, not just just a regular horror movie. The Monster Squad, really not even, I mean, I guess it's a horror movie that says it deals with the unknown, it's got monsters in it, but come on, really. I love The Monster Squad, but it's not a horror movie. The the Changeling is a classic, creepy, understated horror film. Now, perhaps one of the more horrifying films on our list, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, (laughs) and The Dead Zone from 1983, David Cronenberg, Christopher Walken. Which I think is, and then Lady in White, which I specifically picked because of the Halloween theme. I do agree with him, and we, of course, will have our October Spooky Flicks Fest. We'll wrap up our final episode. Will actually be on Halloween, two thousand eleven. And yeah, and, and that will be know, a very special episode indeed. And Doug, we may make all of your wildest dreams come true. To quote, quote <laughs> to paraphrase Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you go ahead with that. That's that's fine. Um, I just want to comment on Doug. I agree, and that's why when we get to Christmas time, we're definitely doing Black Christmas because there is and no. We are doing Christmas. the original, the Bob Clark original, not that. Oh, not that god awful remake. No, no, I'm talking about the Black Christmas, sorry. the one with Mario Kidder. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah. See that Andrea Martin and Olivia movie. and Olivia. Hold on. Wait for it. Wait for it. Hussy and Kierdelia. Hey, but why does it? Yeah, see, to Doug's point, why doesn't anybody watch? You know, why doesn't anybody watch Black Christmas at Christmas time? Uh, why no, is it uh, Die Hard? Like no, wait, Christ- wait, no, wait. It should be Christmas Die Day. Hard, Lethal Weapon, Gremlins, and you watch. Uh, fo- yeah, follow it up with Black Christmas as a chaser. I'm telling you, man, that is, is a Yule tide. That is a Yule tide tradition right there, waiting to happen. Yippee What's going on with this world? <sighs> Jason, don't get me started, buddy. Okay, so on that note, my friend, would you like to delve into the world of the RoboCop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We 
get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you Robocop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Anything you say may be used against you. A cyborg, you idiot! You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory is admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. Get in the car, for God's sake! Robocop: The Future of Law Enforcement. Awesome. Before we get into the fact that that was the Terminator theme song, I love that when they say, what, <laughs> when Miguel Ferreira's character says to him, what are your three prime directives? He busts into the, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> you have a right to an attorney. So right to an attorney was one of Robocom's prime. I don't think it was. I really don't. I really don't think it was. So, so much. <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah. Uh, Terminator music. Yeah, that's because Orion owned had distributed Terminator, and they owned it. So, obviously, there was a lot of similarities um, thematically. So is this a Transformers itch issue where you can, as long as you've directed both films, you can reuse the exact same scene without telling anybody? Yes, and uh, I'm going to bust out a couple little quick um, bits, little um, stats, as it were, about a RoboCop, and then we will throw the spoiler alert at you, folks. So RoboCop, 1987, directed by Paul... Verhoeven. Is that right, Peter? Did I get that? So, Paul Verhoeven is a... Um, um, oh, hold, hold wait, on. Wait, hold wait, on a sec. Hold, hold on, hold on. Okay. Hello? Hello? Oh, hey, Peter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell him. No, 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 no. He's not an idiot. I know. I know he acts that way. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Um, hey, man. Yeah. That was Peter. Yeah. Yeah. He said, don't make fun of his accent again. And it's Paul Verhoeven. So just pass on the message. Wow. It's all good. Got it. Sorry about that. So, yes, Paul um, Verhoeven. Verhoeven. Okay. Yeah. Verhoeven. Uh Uh-huh. Got it. Yes. He um, did a couple movies you might have heard of, like Total Recall, Basic Instinct, (laughs) Starship Troopers, and (laughs) Showgirls. (laughs) Yeah, that movie's horrible. So... Yes. Yeah. You know what? You get tired of the boobs after like three minutes. Yeah. And that's saying I mean, something. Think about it. Think about it. Is. You actually make a movie that makes you tired of that. That's a that's that's, a, that's an achievement. Yes. And it's Jesse from Saved by the Bell, which is probably part of the problem. So anyway, RoboCop, nineteen seven, Paul Beerhoven was also starred the great, probably in that top five of my uh, geek tastic favorite actors. Um, 
along with Lance Henriksen, Tim Thomerson, Bruce Campbell, and Terry Quinn. I was going to say it. I had to pause for effect. <laughs> Mr. Peter Weller. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Awesome Buckaroo Bonsai himself, Peter Weller, also in a fantastic giant killer rat movie with Shannon Tweed uh, <laughs> of unknown origin. Yes. Nancy Allen, uh, best known for basically being in the vast majority of Brian De Palma's early work. Dan O'Hurley, Jason, who was Dan O'Hurley? He was the old man. He was. Yes, uh, I know, but who else was the... he? In what other movie? You know. This. Oh, he was in the Last Starfighter. <laughs> I was going to say Jason. Played, really, uh... you're a Starfighter nerd. Come on, you know, you know this. Yeah, he was in the Last yes. Starfighter. Yes, and Ronnie Cox, who of course was in Beverly Hills Cop one and two, and one of my personal favorites. I don't care who knows it. Deliverance. And he was also in Total Recall, just a little side mm. Kurtwood Smith, who I swear at any point I was just getting ready for him to call someone a dumbass. <laughs> I know, I know. Because <laughs> he is red from that 70s show. Yeah, he's awesome in that. Too. Yes. Miguel <laughs> Ferreira, who's another one that I, I just, I love this guy. I mean, he, he's always kind of the same kind of character, but I just love him. I, I, yeah, he's just great. And actually, he's uh, George Clooney's cousin. Did you know that? The son, oh. He's the son of Rosemary Clooney. Huh. Neat, huh? I did. Ray he's definitely good in this, though. Oh, he's great. Uh, Ray Wise, who uh, was um, in um, uh, Twin Peaks. He was uh, Laura Palmer's dad. And most recently, um, the yeah, TV the show, show that you I were talking about yep. got, got canceled. Mm-hmm. Reaper. Yeah, got canceled because you liked it. Satan. Found yeah. Yeah. Paul McCrane, who is, uh, of course, most probably most recently known for ER. So it had a heck of a great cast. Um, for me personally... The fact that Rob, and I completely had forgotten this, but Rob Botine, uh, who did the special makeup effects for The Howling and John Carpenter's The Thing and so many other great, mm. great films, um, did the uh, primarily the robot, the Robocop suit, but I'm sure he helped with some of the other stuff. Phil Tippett of Star Wars New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, uh, and, and again, many other films like Total Recall mm. and such, did the uh, stop motion uh, sequences for the Ed 209. Oh yeah, 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 and uh, and and uh, Basil Pal- Polidoris. I again could be totally screwing that one up. <laughs> he did the music, which we will get into in a little bit. But let's just say I freaking love the theme song. Dun, 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 I mean, honestly, dun, dun, dude, dun, dun, just a sample, just a sample. Um, uh, note, note to Romancing the Stone. <laughs> that is how you do a rousing film score. He also did the film scores for like Hunt for October, Starship Troopers, and one of my all-time personal favorites, Red Dawn. Mm. Yes. So, on that note, Jason, before we now delve into the specifics and our our feelings on RoboCop, I'm going to throw out the alert. Excuse me. Excuse me. Spoiler alert, please. Indeed, my nebbishy little friend. (laughs) Spoilers ahoy. Jason, we will now discuss. We will now commence the the awesomeness or maybe not so awesomeness of RoboCop. <laughs> Go. It's a lightning round. Go. 
<laughs> okay, so this is basically the story of a cop named Murphy who for some reason wears the god-awful <laughs> – Hawaiian 80s shirt when he walks. Wow, into yeah, him. wow. Hold, hold, um, hold on. I, you know, what I need is this. I need a bigger soundboard here so I can do things like sound effects, like you know, the sudden stop, you know, the sound of tires screeching. Because Jason, are you really mocking that man's wardrobe based on some of the things I have seen you wear? Really? I am a trendsetter. That a was trans what? <laughs> oh, trend. I think he's a trans. I'm not a transgender. I am oh, a trendsetter. Got it. Uh, six of one. <laughs> Continue with your always awesome uh, synopsis, Jason. This is the story of old Detroit in the future. I'm assuming somewhere in the 2000 range. Yes, I think it's 2020 uh, or something. Yeah, something around there. And uh, it's basically the story of Detroit in the future from from 1987. So it has gone into complete chaos and uh the cops are completely overrun and they're outgunned and outmanned and and uh they're struggling just to survive Wait, and jason it, jason so basically it's just it's detroit from today it's pretty good it's pretty uh it's pretty close <clears throat> um i would say that most of the no um except for the fact that there is this all evil corporation called ocp how do i explain and, it i take frame by frame it i have you all jump and shot and say in it always for, oh wait that's something else no not opp oh ocp ocp got it yeah. got it <laughs> and uh so the police have been uh basically subcontracted out to ocp they're kind of running it haphazardly but then they have these um, futuristic solutions to policing that they want to use to help clean up the city in time for them to build a new city called New Delta City, which is this um, city of the future, millions of jobs, yada, yada. And uh, in the beginning, Alex Murphy is this cop that transfers into the, the downtown Detroit area where it's the worst. It's welcome to hell. Uh, the cops are so bad they're getting ready to strike. Uh, he and his partner, Louis who is yep. played by Nancy Allen. Yep. She kind of gets uh, tagged onto him. They both put on bicycle helmets with visors. They go driving off in Ford Tauruses with lights on them and uh, into the dirty streets of Detroit. And uh, one of their first major calls after he spins around carelessly his 9mm in the middle of civilians. Uh, <laughs> I love they that. Go off. <laughs> they go off and have to stop a bank robbery by these uh, six well, heavily armed bank robbers in a big box truck. Um, they can't get back up. They go into this abandoned steel mill, follow the big guy, bad guys, and uh, basically, spoiler alert, <clears throat> Murphy gets gunned down. Completely. Yeah, they pretty much show yeah. it in the trailer. Yes. Well, they don't really so, show it, but... <laughs> it wouldn't be much of a movie if he didn't, because guess what? They use his body then to make him into the police officer of the future. They take what's left of his body and turn him into RoboCop. And they introduce him into the force, and there's still obviously disarray, but he kind of shows up and starts completely cleaning up the streets because he is nearly indestructible. He has you know, dead accurate aim with his machine gun pistol, and uh, he is you know, perfect – videotaped memory and all this mess. So he basically goes in, starts doing this, and we learn what the rest of the movie is about. We learn that 
within OCP, there are competing executives, one of which is actually in cahoots with the crime factions in Detroit mm-hmm. and wants the crime to be bad so that his business will be good. And, and so they try and stop RoboCop and get rid of him so that they can – so that he, um, who is uh, Dick Jones, who's like the senior executive. That's the Ronnie Cox character. That's correct. Yep. Um, can implement his solution, which is the ED-209. And that erectile is not dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction 209. Now, it is this cool-ass-looking two-legged robot that kind of reminds me of those things from Jedi – that are walking through Endor, you know, the little walkers. The, yeah, yeah. Well, the, but but actually, actually, uh, I, the way one of the trivia bits I had out on uh, IMDb um, it said that they had based the design of that on uh, the Bell U something. I don't remember what the model number. Huey, the helicopters. I guess they were used in uh, Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can see that, and it's kind of its top, the mm-hmm. way its hood is, you know, like this, this, the, the, the head part, I guess, and those two guns coming out the side. Yeah. Uh, but the legs definitely weren't helicopter-like. No, no. <laughs> they were they were much more kangaroo-like. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, in designing so, this multi-gajillion-dollar unit, they didn't quite consider what might happen if it approached stairs. <laughs> we'll get to that point. Give yes. me a minute. <laughs> That's one of my major ones. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, it's RoboCop against the bad guys and the bad good guys, and in the course of him kind of becoming the super cop he also starts to become self-aware because when they made him robocop they blanked his memory but he starts to remember being murdered he starts to remember his uh, bits of his family and so he's kind of it's it's his journey of becoming semi-human again um as he kind of battles the forces of evil so that's kind of the gist of it that's the major synopsis and um did i miss anything no i don't think so. no i think Detroit. you got it yep yep we're good Erectile dysfunction. We're good. I woke okay, up. I woke up from my nap, so we're good. All right, good. <laughs> we're on transfers again. What? So uh, what? Let's talk squid Transfer. haircuts. Okay. You know, dry hair is for squids, Jason. Yes, First, I, I think. I think any hair is for squids. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so RoboCop, Jay. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I By think, all means. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you? Didn't I go first on Young Guns? Um, yes, you did. Okay, then you go first. Ah, oh, god dang it. I have no idea what you thought of this movie you're watching. <laughs> you kind of played one of those poker faces. Yeah, it was really <laughs> difficult. I know. <laughs> I, I so badly. I was like, when I, after it was over, I said, I was like, I cannot wait to talk to Jason. <laughs> this is a weird, this one has gone in weird places for me. Whoa. I actually, it has. Did, I saw it when it, um, right after did it, it came out. Did it make you, did it touch you in a way that made you feel shame? It made me feel made me feel funny. Um, no, it, this was this is a movie I saw right after it came out. Um, I loved it then. Didn't see it for a long time, and then I remember probably about oh god, maybe fifteen years ago, seeing it again and thinking, oh god, this movie is awful. And then I just watched it a couple of times. I watched it recently, um, a couple of days ago, and then I actually watched it about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And having re rewatched it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm getting softer in my old age. I don't know if it's uh, the fact that we've done so many god-awful, horrible, suck-a-rotten-egg movies. <laughs> like what? Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, you but... <laughs> putt. <laughs> I really like this movie. Now, there are some major plot holes, and there are some we'll, really— We'll go into that. We'll go into that. We'll go into that. You know, doofy moments mm-hmm. in it. But the music and— 
Peter Weller kind of playing that, you know, robotic figure and and uh, yeah, his the, his the, control over his movements were f- amazing. It was incredible. Yeah, that was and amazing. Really, and it wasn't just his control; it was the way that he played that character made it feel very invulnerable and you know he, he he seemed this indestructible force and he was really good but then the moments when he was human i freaking love this movie again and you know i know it's kind of a cult favorite i'm not saying that because i'm a fanboy there's yeah, you're just saying because you're I, just I, sucking up to the audience jason uh no not whatsoever you know me I, if i, t- I know, hated this kidding. movie i I'm would joking. you know Bruce Campbell, meh. Yeah, the fact that your butt went onto a movie geek podcast and said you hated Assault on Precinct 13, I think pretty much guarantees <laughs> it just, that it the opinion we're getting is your... Ability. Yes, true. Yes, exactly. It should do... I will be honest if I... I mean, I will give my honest opinion no mm-hmm. matter what the consequences. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm done. Go okay, ahead. all right. Are you sure? <laughs> no. As I, don't, I, want to talk now. I don't want to pee on your parade <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, no, I and I, and it's interesting you bring up the whole social commentary in the film. And while on one level you could, you know, make the argument of it being having the potential of being heavy-handed, I think the fact that it's played with tongue planted firmly in cheek through the awesomeness of all the various commercials like Nukem uh, played throughout yes. the film, which, of course, is something uh, that the director did also like in Starship Troopers. There were all the little. Yes. Yeah. This is, and there were even like the co-ed shower scene at the beginning. I had completely forgotten about that, which, is, of course, Starship Troopers. It's that they did the exact same. Yeah. Thing. And, and this yeah. one, this I always felt like Starship Troopers, though. It felt more exploitative, like those women were played up for their feminine qualities and were meant to be sexual and beautiful. Yeah, I mean, like, whereas I felt like the women, the way they were playing this, and in fact, again, if um, the Imidaba, uh, uh you know, database <laughs> to be believed, of course, I was redundant, the Imidaba database, if that site <laughs> is to be believed, uh, uh, the director actually had Nancy Allen crop her hair extremely short because he was trying to desexualize the character. And if you think about when they showed the, you know, the handful of female cops in there, you know, there was yeah, they were they, they were a lot more masculine. There was a lot yeah. less emphasis on their femininity, and it felt more like this is just how it's done now. Right. So yeah, yeah. The the when they did it in in Starship Troopers, it it felt a little more. It, it still worked, but it felt a little more forced. And it also like, felt a little it, bit more silicone-y. Um. As I recall, oh, it was nah. a little more silicone in that scene. Nah, yeah. Nah. You yeah. need to rewatch it because now nah, I don't think so. Okay. Um, but. I think they definitely lingered on it a little longer in that one, and so it was a little more apparent. In this one, it was really quick. But anyway, I, I think that the whole play of the newsreel that yes. was in between. Yeah, the smiling newscasters as they're talking yeah. about these horrific – Lisa Gibbons. That was – talk about a stroke of brilliant <laughs> casting to have – That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, to have her, <laughs> you know – and the horrible suffering going on in the Mexican War yes. with <laughs> – And genocide happened today yeah. in Acapulco. Well, and that was the thing is they don't do it as much today, I don't think. But back then, I remember that was always one of the big knocks on a lot of the, the newscasters and such is that they would be talking about these really horrific things or they would go from some really horrible story and then they would immediately go into <laughs> a, you know, a human interest story where they're like all of a sudden bubbly and happy and it was kind of creepy. Well, I kept waiting for her to – I kept waiting for the the – uh, um, the anchorman to get, go from this dark story and hand it to her, and she'd be like, "And in lighter news, yeah. a new you know, two-headed puppy was born today, you know, or something <laughs> yeah. funny and light and airy." I kept waiting for them to do that. Yeah, but, but they never really did. Although, interesting note about the commercials: I caught this in the um, credits. 
do you know who actually did the effects work in the that final commercial for the six thousand SUX? <laughs> Uh, oh, car commercial, sucks. yeah. <laughs> which was my probably my favorite overall no, commercial. No. That stop motion dinosaur thing. It was the uh, Kyoto Brothers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was the it was the Kyoto Brothers, the ones who did Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Critters. Really? Yeah, they did the they did the stop motion and everything for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time I watch it, that little dinosaur segment, that little commercial for the six thousand XUS, it always catches me off guard. It's almost like, wait, did someone change the channel? What? Yeah, I know. It's it's then, yeah, oh. it's very weird. <laughs> well, and, and and it's. You know, and again, what I liked about this movie, regardless of whether you agree with the message, this movie reinforces the point that I try to make. And we've had this conversation ad nauseum. No problem with there being social commentary in your movie as Mm. long as it's not there's no authorial intrusion. Like I don't I never felt that. Actually, the only time I actually think you could maybe authorial intrusion is in the bloodletting, because I get the vibe that Paul Verhoeven really likes his bloodletting and it's oh you know, yeah it's yeah. perfect I mean, this and starship troopers just those two movies alone but then you know the total recall i mean the guy like and and actually he was you know i think he was in um uh when he was a young boy was near the holocaust and i know that had a big influence um on him as a filmmaker but yeah but i never felt i felt that it fit the story and i think that the ideas in it were interesting and it was never i never felt like the audience was being indicted, you know, or blamed for something. Yeah. It felt like this is just the way this is. This is, you have to be careful. There was like a warning, like a, a a morality tale. Like this is what you know where things can head on the extreme if you're not careful of because of X, Y, and Z. And I, I appreciate that. I like the fact that it was a more of a, a even though there's nothing really subtle about RoboCop, starting with the title, um, which by the way, <laughs> talk about a stroke yeah. of just marketing genius because that's a movie that no matter how awful it is, how low budget it is, you're gonna sell. You're going to get yeah. distribution and you're going to sell. Why? Because it's called RoboCop. <laughs> I mean, the fact that, like, I'm, so, I'm sure I, when Corman heard about that, he probably had to think, oh, God dang I mean, it. Yeah. I, exactly. You know he did. So, because it's just that that title by yeah. itself is worth the price of admission. Yeah. But all of that being said, um, yeah, so I saw this movie. Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't think I ever saw it its entirety when I was a kid. Like, I remember seeing bits of it and it just being, like, so violent and, like, one of those, like, you know, parents send you out of the room because it's just too violent. Yeah, yeah. And I saw it when I was a teenager, of course, finally. And then I saw Robocop 2, which at the time I liked. And Irving Kirshner, who did uh, Empire Strikes Back, directed it. And it's got Tom Noonan, who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, so I think Robocop 2, while an imperfect movie by far, is one I would like to revisit just because I think there's probably at least little, yeah. you know... And Peter Weller reprises the role. Now, Robocop 3, I admit, is a horrible movie, but I like it because I'm biased because <laughs> Fred Decker, who did Monster Squad Night of the Creeps, directed it. But really, that's all like the only bone. And actually, I will say, um, oh, what was his name? I'm totally pulling this out of my head. Robert, is it Robert John Burke? Robert, look up the guy who played uh, um, Murphy in Robocop 3. It's Robert John Burke. It's, he's three names. He was in Thinner. Oh. Oh, in Robocop 3? Yeah, Robocop 3. And he actually was good. I mean, I think he effectively, I mean, with obviously the helmet on, carried on the character. I mean, I think that, I mean, I think the character himself came, became pretty two-dimensional. Yeah, Robert John Burke. Robert John uh, Burke, okay. Directed by Fred Decker. Yes, okay. So he definitely, you know, captured some of the character, but the movie itself is just pretty god-awful. Yeah, because that's when they added the attachments and stuff. Yeah, and and I honestly, and it's funny, I've never seen any of them, but I didn't realize how many, like, I guess little mini-series and all sorts of things 
were all shot, you know, were shoot offs of this thing. And 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 more interesting to me is I caught on YouTube. I guess it was a RoboCop cartoon. Yes, it's like between that and Rambo, really. Really? You think that's a good idea? Let's make let's take two of the most violent franchises and make let, let's have a Friday the 13th cartoon for the kids. I mean, I went Elm Street one. Halloween. Let's just let's go all out. Anyway, of course as a kid I would have freaking loved that. Um <laughs> but uh, and and that is one other note I would like to bring up cuz uh I you know grew up loving horror and you know huge fan and I remember, you know, being an avid reader of Fangoria and reading about the whole video nasties movement in Britain. And around this time is when the MPAA really brought the hammer down on horror films. <laughs> hammer and mm. horror films. Look at me connecting. Weird things. <laughs> I'm, I'm clever. I'm clever. <laughs> but specifically, I remember with Friday 13th, 6, it kind of started. But 7 really got uh, butchered. <laughs> Um, and John uh, Carl and, and director John Carl Beekler, w- you know, did an interview where he you know, just talked about how they completely, you know, just decimated the movie as far as any of the gore effects and all that kind of went. But that's the same year that Robocop, Robocop came out. And I know that they held back on some of the gore for the theatrical release. So I really and I didn't see in the theater. So maybe someone out there saw in the theater and can remember. But the video version I remember seeing this would have been VHS. This was not edited one way or the other. I mean, this was just the way it was released. So I assumed it was the theatrical version. I remember it being pretty freaking gory even then. Now, the version I watched last night was exceedingly gory. But that being said, it's an interesting, I guess, subjective note that a movie like RoboCop, the whole scene where Murphy is blown to bits. And literally, folks, like when they lay him down in his hand and they shoot his hand with a shotgun close range and it just explodes and they blow his arm. I mean, it is bloody, bloody, bloody. However... It's interesting to note, and I don't know if this is maybe less me getting soft and more me becoming callous and hard, um, but I she said. That's what she said. <laughs> I really feel like that the way the scene plays out because they were smart enough to establish Murphy, albeit briefly, as a human being, as a man, and one that we you know had a family, and he and and Peter Weller was brilliant casting because I know there was talk of at one point Michael Ironside playing the character. I think they, it, I read something that said Schwarzenegger, which they realized he was so bulky he would look like the Michelin Man. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Um, uh, Robo tire, and uh, Lance Henriksen, which is funny because of course he was supposed to be the original Terminator, and got didn't get the part because they thought he was too small because that's what ultimately ended up inspiring, inspiring the uh, the T-1000, uh, you know, with uh, T2 yeah. because that, of course, the, originally the original vision of the Terminator was for him to be more, you know, smaller, more lithe and fit in better. And then, of course, they got Schwarzenegger and he ended up just being a cop in the film. So he was supposed to be a Terminator. He might have almost been the uh, been Robocop. And then I guess he finally and right there in between, he got to be Bishop. So uh, <laughs> but but all three of those actors I think it would have been horrible for RoboCop because the thing about Peter Weller is, A, that guy just exudes intelligence. And I know in real life, I believe he has like a, some kind of advanced degree in history. He's like a history professor on the side. I mean, the guy Peter is... Weller? Yes. He's, really? he's a freaking yeah, genius. I mean, the guy's yeah. great. I've heard some interviews with him about the subject. Brilliant guy. And it just it's in his eyes. He's just a smart guy. I mean, he's the best thing in Leviathan. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You know, he's just... There's something about him. And I think because of that and then he also has this uh, you know this sort of authority and presence to him that even though he's a pretty small guy like when you really look at him pre-suit he's a pretty thin you know slight kind of guy but there's such a he's got a presence you know it's in his face my favorite was one 
when when he makes some of his turns like down a hallway or something yes. and he his body goes first yes. and then his head follows yeah. that was just i think that partly yeah. made his movements so really you want to know what i really thought about the freaking movie you since hated I, it didn't so, you? so I, since i've been i've been building this up for the last 20 <laughs> minutes okay here's the dealio I said to my wife, it was over. I looked at my wife. She didn't really watch it because she actually can't. She doesn't. She's like, I couldn't care less. She didn't want to watch it. So <laughs> <laughs> I, she came in towards the end, and you know, I'm watching it, and it's over. And I go, I cannot wait to talk to Jason about this because honestly, hands down, and I mean this, hands down, since we have started this podcast, and I'm without exaggeration, and you're now wondering, this is totally retaliation for freaking assault and Precinct 13. That SOB is going to be this petty. Yes. You're going to do it just to get back at me, aren't you? My favorite movie we've ever done. Hands, no way! Hands you... down. <laughs> hands down. Like, dude, this movie was so awesome to me. I, like, the first thing I, I thought to myself was, um, you know, we're, 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 we're poor folk here in the deep, deep swamps of Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and, and honestly, I use Netflix, so I really had no... I know you can get Blu-ray from Netflix, but I don't really yeah. have a Blu-ray player right now, which I'm admitting <laughs> on a podcast. But... It's one of my dreams, and uh, but it would be like if I could only pick like three movies to buy on Blu-ray, this would movie because of watching it now, this would be one of them. Oh yeah, because between one, just it was just the little touches, like the cinematography was gorgeous. Like when he first gets in the car and that music kicks in and that classic like eighties, the blue, pinkish red twilight sky in the background, yeah, the skyscrapers yeah. and the glass. Oh my. God, it was gorgeous. And then, I mean, dude, I just wrote, I basically most of my notes start with the word loved. So, <laughs> um, you know, a little, it just a little tight. It was like, the, the, I guess the thing was, is that the level of details and I appreciated all the little pieces and the foreshadowing, like they showed Fredrickson, the cop who'd been killed right before Murphy came on and they showed his name plays are taking it off. What's the last thing they show when Murphy leaves the locker room before he, he's heading off basically to be killed? His nameplate. His nameplate. So you yeah. little things like that that are subtle, and you don't have to notice them. But if you do, it's like little Easter eggs, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like things like that. But just obviously all the phrases and the fact that they established him flipping the gun cowboy style. And when he says to um, Emil, he says, you know, dead or alive, you're coming with me. But he says it kind of a little scared because he's Murphy the man at that point. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. But then later on, of course, when he says it, and which is what triggered. But that's brilliant. Why? Because when Emil sees him, it is reasonable to think he would look at this guy, hear that yes. line, and he killed you. Yeah, exactly. Killed now, you. Now, if he hadn't had that line, if there was no connection between those two characters when he said that and he reacted, you'd be going, well, "How did he even know it was him?" But we didn't have that <laughs> moment. We didn't have no. that moment. And I, and I loved, like you said, like the, all the little touches about, and I really felt like it wasn't so much just a jab at like, you know, I mean, you could probably say on one hand it was a jab at the Western, you know, sort of, uh, you know, over, you know, consuming capitalist culture. But I felt like it was more a take of what happens when things become so cynical, so desensitized to, because it was basically a war zone. There was no, I mean, it wasn't just a bad town. It was a war zone, but people become so desensitized to the violence, to, to everything. I mean, even the show that everybody watches is, you know, where the guys catch for his, I'll buy that for, that for a dollar. dollar. And he's always surrounded. <laughs> he's like a Benny Hill thing. He's always surrounded by these buxom yeah, blondes. Yeah. And, and, but Can it's, I have both of you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's this <laughs> low brow, you know, brainless sort of show that everyone, everyone's watching throughout the entire piece. 
and and his phrase even I'll buy that for a dollar. That's what life is worth. There, you know, it's worth yeah. a buck. You know, maybe. And I love the way that they wo- that they they weave that show throughout the whole thing, the just like the commercials. Movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The editing now, and and just and and I, and of course, you know, we usually try to be a clean podcast, other than a, you know, occasional s bomb or whatever. But um, and I'll beep this. <laughs> but when Miguel Ferreira, when, I want to say this: the transition from Murphy dead to. When you first see it, it's through RoboCop's eyes. And they do, this is such brilliant storytelling, in my opinion. It was all a bunch of expository junk that we would have needed to know. Where did he come from? How did they make him? You know, what's he made out of? All that stuff. And they did it in this, what is essentially a montage. It doesn't feel like a montage. All through RoboCop's point of view shows a passage of time. And I love it when Miguel Ferreira, you know, Robert Morton bends down, leans in, real quiet, goes, you're going to be a badass motherfucker. And just yeah. the, and the way he says it with that gravelly voice of his, awesome. Yeah. And just and just that little that little twinkle in his eye and that smirk, just it was stuff like that. You know what I mean? And then the fact the and first how they held off and how they held off showing. Oh, it dude, to him. I was about to say and it. Th- one of the best parts, uh, just from the way that they shot it, is this. They go through this whole series of sequence of scenes just through RoboCop's eyes, yep. and you see you know time passing, and they're testing things, and he awakens here and there, and then they introduce him, which they. They played that uh, clip in the trailer, mm-hmm. and he starts walking. And you're still looking through his eyes, so you're still seeing him walk through his eyes. And just off in the shot is a monitor, a TV monitor that's apparently videotaping this moment, you know, as part of like all the science equipment. And you just catch a yes. glimpse of him. Yes, it, that was so brilliant. I that, I even wrote great. it down. I was like, the the because <laughs> so many filmmakers today. Would have just completely blown it. Would have, would have, would have built this. You know, it would have been a bunch of flashing images, and it would have, you know, been this quick, you know, cut montage of his gun flipping out. Just you know, big light behind yeah, him. Yeah, it would have been like totally it's a wrestling introduction. Exactly, it would have been ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But it was his subtle, quick glimpse. And just the sound effects, and then, and of course, and the thing is, the sound design in this movie in general, I thought was fantastic. Just the, the, the connection because it was that that addition that yes, and the piston yeah. and the hydraulics moving <laughs> with Weller's movement was so perfectly done that I, I just yeah honestly yeah. now <laughs> when I was watching the the part where he kind of wakes up for the first time and starts walking my wife was on the other couch not even looking at the tv reading and and she looks up and she's like he sounds like a staple gun <laughs> 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 yes, but you know so, what? He is a badass staple gun. He is. And, now, and, before we get into before we get into our six picks, well, we yeah, because I have a couple quick more things I want to say about the movie. I, I, I have a couple quick things too, so I want to talk about a few little problems I had. Well, before um, you do nothing, that, can I just make a couple little like highfalutin comments, and then you can get into the uh, negative? I go okay. Into your fancy schmancy movie. Okay. Stuff. Okay. First off, one other thing, I loved the echo of he's shot up by these criminals, right? That end up working for OCP and Bob Jones. To in the in, towards the end of the film, he's shot up by all the cops in almost the exact same kind of fashion. And he's he is it's like Robocop is poised as this, uh, you know, one of the things I read, you said that, you know, I guess, um, an interview maybe with Verhoeven, he said he saw him as kind of like this futuristic, um, you know, messiah type figure because I think at one point he has him right, walking right. on water and there's there's all those yeah. kind of illusions. Well, and Verhoeven is known for kind of putting the religious the, imagery and symbolism. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so, but I think it's a fascinating idea because I th- I thought of him as being like Frankenstein's monster because yeah. you know he's created yeah. by man, you know, and he has he turns on his maker, so to speak. But whereas with you know with Frankenstein, 
you know, that 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 monstrosity from Mary Shelley's you know little fever dream that she had was wanting you know vengeance and and, and bloodletting, and he hated. It seems like really at the end of the day. The the backlash against the people that created RoboCop stems from the fact that he's pure, absolute, black and white. You know what I mean? And, and he's actually and motivated. Yes, he's it's always, like it's yeah. like a, it's like a flip on that. And I just I just think that's really cool. Like I just thought that yeah. was a really cool idea. And elitist rant over. Go, Jason. And scene over. And scene. Okay. Um. So I actually had a little bit of a problem with your echoey scene. Um, because one of the key elements of this movie was the whole fact that these police officers, all these cops, were the the big solidarity between them. Yep. All that they they were all being killed. They weren't standing a chance against these criminals. They were being put out to slaughter. Uh-huh. That it was the fault of the city and OCP that they weren't being equipped and not being so. They were all there was this brotherhood, and even as RoboCop comes in, they were all kind of he's one of us, yeah. you know, to an extent, yeah, and. Then for at one point when RoboCop goes to OCP because he hears that Bob Jones, uh, he gets um, the confession out of uh, um, 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 what's his name? Boddicker. Yeah. Um, um, that Kurt Smith. Dick did. Jones was the guy that, that yeah. did this. Dick, Dick Jones. It was Dick Jones. And by the way, so, by the way, Red, Red from that 70s show, Kurt Smith was fantastic. I loved him as Boddicker. Oh, he was awesome. He's, he was awesome such a, per- he was such yeah, a perfect played- choice. Yeah, he was. He played a very good uh, um, kind of crime. Oh, oh, and real quick, the woman that he is really kind of being sleazy with towards the end there, um, Dick Jones' secretary. Yeah. That's his. Yeah. That was his wife. I don't know if they're still married, but that was his wife at the time. Was it really? Yes, apparently that was his <laughs> wife. <laughs> I thought that was great. That's awesome. No, but then, you know, uh, so RoboCop goes to OCP to arrest Dick Jones, and that's when um, all hell breaks loose yes. because – Dick Jones had put in this extra directive that said you can't arrest a OCP senior officer, and that's when Ed 209 attacks him, and they get into a battle. Well, as that's happening, that's when Dick Jones calls the police. Yes. So RoboCop kind of escapes Ed 209 just barely, and these missiles and guns, and he blows up one of his one of Ed 209's arms, and then he kind of staggers out into the the garage, and he looks up, and all these lights start coming on him. And it's all the police, and they had surrounded this door, and they all put up guns, and they all just aiming at him. And there was, what, two people that spoke up and said, no, he's one of us. Everybody else, they're like, fire! And everybody just starts well, you, shooting. But, but I will say the reason why I find that acceptable is, number one, I, I think that those may have been some of OCP's direct, because it, it was the same guy who led the unit that was like a SWAT unit. Oh, the out, terrorist. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the so-called terrorist the... attack from the councilman where he throws the mayor and all that stuff. I, I felt like that, but, that, they... but the, I, you could look at, there was only a handful of them in the grand scheme of things. You could argue that, because there was a lot of them, I think, that have been talking about, you know, um, striking and a lot of the cops. And I think the ones that were yeah. there were probably ones that would have been scabs anyway. And were, were you know, like really their, their allegiance was to OCP and their paycheck. And that's but why they followed really show the... that. No, well, they didn't really play that up in any other element. There was no naysayers when they had the guys talking about striking. Yeah. They're, the only person that spoke up against that or said was they the, shouldn't like the stars of the captain or whatever. Yeah. And, and the only reason he said was that we can't do that because the city will fall apart. So for the police to just suddenly it, felt a little convenient that all of a yeah. sudden the police, because they received an order from OCP, yeah. would all of a sudden just open fire yeah. wantonly to kill him without freeze or disengage or shut down or trying to order him. No, it was just 
open fire. I will and, I will agree to disagree with you on that point just because I think it's one of those nebulous things that there's it's purely yeah, subjective yeah. and there's no way to prove it. I also will say that the the momentum of the movie at that point, it's only on hindsight that you would even think about that. Cause no, the, that's true. The it, momentum it of the movie is that, su- yeah, yeah. The momentum of the movie is such that I never felt like at that point, like, oh come on, like they would, no, and, no, the fa- and the fact they had a couple cops even stand up, not that they, you know, sure. but it's you could go back to that mob mentality, right? The the yeah, idea that you true. know if, if a handful of them that are in charge say do it, then the rest of them kind of pull the majority yeah, with them yeah. exactly. So, yeah. um, and then one last comment. Yes, yes, and then we'll wrap it up because we're running out of time. When Ed two oh nine falls down the stairs, yeah. Why did he sound like a pig? Because they used a pig sound effect. <laughs> Not being serious, they used, pig, giant, they, they used a pig squealing. For the I mouth. know this this big two legged giant massive military robot yeah. can't walk downstairs. First of all, then when he trips down the stairs, basically. Wee- wee- well, and I think that might be you could you could argue that's back to the dark humor of the movie. I think it was meant to be funny, um, you know, I think on purpose. Like I mean, just like the the commercials were i think it was the absurdity of this violent you know this thing that we'd seen blow this guy to bits um the oh actually if i have any knock at all in the movie from especially from an effects point of view at the end they used a puppet of ronnie cox and this is a massive spoiler i'm giving away at the end of the movie but again i would assume that if at this point you yeah seen, yeah. yeah honestly it looked that, bad. that looked bad and it wasn't so much the the fact the way he falls out the window it was it was they used a puppet, and it looked like a puppet to me. <laughs> now, well, I... yeah, because he gets he gets shot and falls out the window of the skyscraper, and they show a very close shot of him falling down. But it's it wasn't even like they put him on a blue screen on a table. It yeah. was just all puppet all the way down. Yeah. It was like now I think I want to say maybe yeah. one of the things I read said that yeah, how because because the councilman see the councilman scene nobody goes flying out a window right other than. Did he? Th- he doesn't throw the, the guy. Terrorist. Out the- Does he throw the bad guy out the window? Uh, yeah. Okay, that's right. Okay, because I think it's that but one. He only falls from like. Well, they only show the shot of him falling from like one story, so it's just a stuntman jumping out onto a pad or something. I'm yeah, sure. but I think. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it was a dummy, and I think his legs actually flip up like in a in a natural way, and they left it in on purpose because they thought it was funny. <laughs> so- <laughs> So, so there is. I think there is that vein that runs through this movie where yeah, they yeah. acknowledge the absurdity of the whole thing. But for some yeah. reason, even that absurdity aside, it still works. So I would say, oh, no, I, I would say that Jason and I both are on the same page here. This is definitely a flix it. Whatever you do, don't forget it. RoboCop, yeah, because there's please. been talk for years of a remake. Which the one yeah. idea of a remake I heard involved Darren Aronofsky of Pie and Requiem for a, uh, for a Dream and uh, Black Swan. Mm. That interest me interested me mainly because of him, and because I think he would do something interesting and gritty with it. And I thought it would be really interesting if they maybe shot it in a scene. I mean, sorry, a scene, a city like Detroit that maybe is you know undergoing some as bad as econ- the economic conditions are for most of the country and world at this point. A city like Detroit really, really has a lot of problems, and yeah. a yeah. it would probably be a boon to them to get the uh, the capital, but also mm-hmm. I think it would there'd be a lot of potential for locations. I just think it would be interesting to do that, and I think it would actually. I'm not usually for remakes, but I think the the ideas in it and everything else would translate to today. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it at least sounds intriguing. I mean, yes. it's not like one of the oh come on, things. yes, one of those. It's, yeah, it's not like a yeah. So Jay, so Jay. Yeah. Are you ready um, to get a little six picks action on? I'm ready to get a little flicksy. How about okay. you? I am too, and uh, <laughs> we'll race through these bad boys. All right. Let's see if we can do speed yeah. flicks. Ready? Yes. Go. <laughs> Wait, we need the music.
I'm not going to forget the music. Thanks to listener Hammond for said <laughs> I know. I was going to say, you can't diss Hammond that way. Okay, so my pick, my first your, pick your is plick? a – My pick. Um, our six picks are – Badass, kick-ass cyborg movies of the eighties. Well, no, so. no, they're not all the eighties. It's just cyborg. Okay, I, yeah. I, we dropped the eighties part. And I, I, I did want to add the caveat: they are cyborg movies that aren't Terminator. Uh, this is true. They're cyborg movies of our youth. Yes, How about that. That aren't Terminator, um, even though I love the Terminator. Yes, but we don't want to waste that on a six picks. Whoa, are you implying the six picks aren't worthy? That they're waste? Uh, not of the Terminator. No, okay. not the original. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. So my first one is going to start with one that is only pseudo-cyborg, but I think definitely is worth mentioning because they are still uh, warriors that have been rebirthed, similar to what Murphy went through. And that is Universal Soldier from 1992, starring two of the genre's greatest heroes, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Did you really and drop the M? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, my God. That's annoying. <laughs> He's Belgian. I got to try. Okay. Um, so uh, basically the story is that they were uh, sort of rivals in the Vietnam War, and Dolph Lundgren is this kind of evil guy who um, carries out these orders to slaughter this village, and Jean-Claude Van Damme says, no, I've got a conscience. I'm not going to do it. So they kill each other, but instead of actually dying, they're put on ice, and then they're turned into hate it when that happens. Unisols. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unisols, Universal Soldiers, where they're repurposed and given this programming to be these warriors. And in the future now, the, in the 90s, they are these anti-terrorist groups. But, of course, what has to happen, just like in RoboCop, Jean-Claude Van Damme starts to remember his humanity, but Dolph Lundgren doesn't, uh, kind of chases after him, and it's this kind of a battle scene between the two of them, which culminates in one of the best kind of final battles and we've talked about this before. They have to fight in the rain with no shirts because it looks better. Yeah. So, perfect. yeah. Anyway, um, and it's directed by Roland Emmerich um, and uh, also stars um, Jerry Orbach, who nice. was one of my favorite guys yeah, out guy. of Law and Order. Uh, I thought you were going to say Dirty that... Dancing. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody puts Baby in a corner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was also in Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, sadly passed away in 2004, uh, much too soon, but one of my favorite parts of Law & Order. So anyway, yeah, that's Universal Soldier from uh, 1992. Nice. Yes, yes. So my pick, Westworld from 1973. See, the first two movies out the gate were in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> which is a, you are. Yes, which is a science fiction thriller that was written and directed by novelist Michael Crichton. It's about a theme park kind of in the future where the uh, main attraction goes out of control and kills a bunch of people. Wait a minute. That sounds. Oh, wait, they're not dinosaurs. In this one, they're androids. Now, you might say, well, an android is not a cyborg. Well, you know what? If freaking uh, Terminators are cyborgs, then the Yul Brenner type androids <laughs> in Westworld are cyborgs. They're basically robots that have sort of the synthetic, you know, outer shell that makes them look human. And what, the, it's a small world? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Man, those things are creepy. So those yes. Are awful. Yeah, so Westworld is actually one of three parks. The other one is like a Roman era park where, you know, it's sort of decadent and lusty and whatnot. And then the other one, as I recall, so it's the Roman oh, the old West and 
Crud Muffins. Ah, medieval. Yes, the medieval times where you get to be a knight or what have you. And the idea was these very lifelike, you know, in other words, they're people, uh, androids <laughs> exist in this in this place. And people come in, pay a thousand bucks to be a part of this amusement park. And they stay for a certain period of time and they get to live out fantasies within this world. They can fight, mm-hmm. shoot, kill, maim, have sex with androids, all sorts of yep. fun stuff. Fun for the whole family, really. Well, unfortunately, along the way, uh, the Yule Brenner character is a gunslinger within the Westworld environment, and things start to go awry. And much like in a good classic Michael Crichton sort of way, uh, the the over-reliance on technology and the danger of us not so much asking if we could, but asking if comes we should. Back yes, comes come back to bite us in the arse. <laughs> yes, it does. So, yes, it started not only Yule Brenner, but Richard Benjamin, uh, James Brolin. And it's a... One of those movies that borderline could have been a TV movie. I don't know if it's Richard Benjamin's presence that makes me feel that way, but <laughs> it's actually not a bad flick. It's cheesy. You know, it's definitely dated for its time, but the ideas in it are very cool, very interesting, like, you know, what you'd expect from Crichton. And it's 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 an interesting flick. So Westworld, 1973, check it out one time, won't you? Jason. Ah, okay. So I'm going to go directly from that into another Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Oh, get original. <laughs> this... <laughs> he was born to be a cyborg, although in this one, in the actual movie called Cyborg, he's not the cyborg, but he is protecting a cyborg, mm-hmm. and it is a post-apocalyptic world infested by a virus and a plague. And so uh, basically the, this was um, uh, uh, directed by Albert Pugh and stars uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Deborah Richter, who was in an episode of – tying it back, tying it back – Hardcastle and McCormick. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's that's tying up. That's tying, yeah, that's that's tying it back to Romancing the Stone for anyone new to the Exactly. Apartment. Yes. <laughs> no. No, yeah. that's tying it back to um It was Romancing the Stone where we talked about the whole Hardcastle. No, no, it, no, no. It was uh Young Guns? Was it? It was Young Guns. Sure. Yeah. Well we talked about Hardcastle and McCormick because we were talking about all the the music being reminiscent of that era. No, no, we were talking about because you remember nothing about the the to TV show. Okay. Nothing you know, whatsoever. Let's, let's be honest, dude. It's Hardcastle McCormick. Does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, yeah. So basically, this is a story of this martial artist played by, yeah, not Deborah Richter. It's uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> um, and he is basically uh, protecting this cyborg who claims to have the cure for the plague that has wrecked this entire planet, you know, the entire Earth and people are dying from. But she gets kidnapped by these bad guys, these kind of dirty, piratey sort of guys who are going to keep the um, um, cure for themselves. And, of course, they're all going to Atlanta, where the CDC uh, is. Uh, where they take this to, Walking yeah, dead. Duh. Walking dead. I mean, come on. Um, and uh, so it, it, it kind of culminates to this, uh, again, <laughs> final battle with the bad guy, who in this case is uh, uh, Vincent Decline. I'm noticing a pattern, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Fender, who, believe it or not, was one of the bad surfer guys in Point Break. Um, so he was uh, uh, the bad guy in Cyborg. Yes. But anyway, so another great John claude Van Damme classic. Uh, I hope you made quote fingers just then because I freaking hate that movie. I yes, so my next pick classic. is is definitely <laughs> in the same cheeseball category as Cyborg. However, this one I have a very – this one I have a roaring case of C&D. I mean bad, like flare-up. The uh, it's it's eliminators from 
1986. This is from oh, Empire yes. Pictures, the Charles yeah. Band, you know, uh, production house uh, pre Full Moon. It was directed mm-hmm. by Peter Manoogian, who did some other classic uh, uh, band productions like Seed People, Demonic Toys, Arena, which I'm pretty confident was a band production. It's a sci-fi movie with aliens battling in an arena. So yes, yeah. it it uh, with the probably the biggest names in it were uh, Andrew Pine, I believe it was Pine, Pine, Pine. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't yeah Pine P R I N E not Pine like a tree. Yes, Andrew Prine, uh, Denise Crosby. Do you remember who she was in? Uh, ding, ding, Smurfs. Ding, 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 what? No, no she was. No idea. She was. She was uh, uh, in Star Trek: Next Generation. Tasha Yar, and she. Oh God, yes. Pet Cemetery. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So, it's um, the plot. Yeah, this will be fun. In a nutshell, the reason why I picked it is because there's a character called the Mandroid. It is basically oh, a guy yes. <laughs> who is half man, half robot, half tank. If you're trying to figure out how that equals a whole, it doesn't. <laughs> Not very well. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. So, yes, the mandroid is sort of the main, I guess, featured element. I mean, he certainly is on the poster, which by the poster is awesome. But he's got a laser <laughs> on his arm, and he is been created by this mad scientist character. Um, Patrick Reynolds actually played the mandroid and the the mad doctor uh, has created him wants him destroyed he uh, gives up escaping getting away and joins forces with andrew prine who is the river rat kind of character his name is fontana harry <laughs> fontana and sort of the rogue han soloish kind of character denise crosby plays the the brilliant scientist who can make it all kind of happen and come together <laughs> and, and and my my uh, perhaps personal favorite, Conan Lee plays Kuji, the martial arts master, the ninja. <laughs> and there's like even the, uh, what was the name of the little uh, mechanical owl in Clash of the Titans? Do you remember? Oh, God. Uh, I forget his name. I wanted to say Ogo and Pogo, but I think that's the ferrets and Beastmaster. No, that's the ferrets from Beastmaster. Yeah, I forget his name, but I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah. They have a similar robotic type creature in this. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cheesy. Um, the plot, really, it doesn't matter this is just a balls to the wall <laughs> empire pictures action movie it, the plot is is so convoluted and all over the place um but yes i mean the poster mandroid mercenary scientist ninja each one a specialist together they are eliminators oh, yeah. so it definitely has the same vibe as like masters of the universe but yeah if you're into cheeseball cinema as we know you are jason definitely worth a checking out so what you got next um, Eliminators is on my list, but I got to tell you, the next one I'm going up against is probably worse. I'm going to talk about Vindicator, the Vindicator from 1986. It is the B same movie, year, B same year as Eliminators. Yes. Um, it is basically the story of the scientist who um, gets caught in a reactor explosion, and the the stuff that he's working on is this um, machines that can control the minds of these monkeys. And so when he gets caught in this reactor explosion, they save him and put him into this machine. And the big flaw in it is that what they've created was if anybody attacks the machine or touches it or it feels like it's being threatened, it kills it immediately. So they show it with a chimpanzee and they put a little robot in there and the little robot points his little gun at it and the chimp just goes, ha ha, ape shit. <laughs> and kills the robots. <laughs> so the problem with uh, 
uh, the Vindicator is that now that he's put in the shell, anybody that even touches him, oh, <laughs> I can't help it. I've got to kill you. Um, <laughs> so this is a uh, – the, and his look is just – um, so the, the um, only people that are famous in this are uh, Pam Greer, who is also in Jackie Brown. Yeah, um, Friday Foster. Yes, and uh, Maury Chaikin, who, if you really want to dig deep, was in War Games. He was one of the two geeks that uh, Matthew Broderick went to. He's been in a lot of movies, right? He he has, yeah. He's kind of famous, but, I mean, talking like 80s-wise flashbacks. So, um, anyway, yeah, The Vindicator, 1986, absolute B-movie real stuff um, if you want to check it out. Awesome, awesome. Well, our number one pick, it's obvious if we didn't pick Terminator, we had to go with Blade Runner from 1982. And much like Jason stated, it was heresy to to say that, you know, he liked Robocop better. I would say they're, yeah, they're kind of both, you know, depicting this dystopian future. Blade Runner is a visually stunning, beautiful film directed by Ridley Scott. came out in 1982. It is based on a Philip K. Dick story uh, called Do, uh, or novel called Do Androids Dream of Electric, Electric Sheep? And it's this sort of film noir um just uh, sci-fi thriller kind of flick where Harrison Ford um, plays a uh, Deckard. He's a, he's a blade runner. His job is to hunt down replicants, which are these um, you know, cyborgs slash, you know, Android type figures that I guess it really would be more cyborgs than androids, right? Cause Android would just be straight robot. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cyborgs are a blend. I mean, they're yeah. Like yeah. Well, yeah. They're, yeah. Actually, some people made the argument that technically like Luke with his new hand after um, and he's a cyborg, technically, if you look up yep. the actual no, definition, that's more cyborg than probably like, you know, Terminators are. Because Terminators are actually just robots that just happen to have you skin. Know, skin on. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, synthetic skin. But Oh, except in Terminator 2 when it's really just all liquid metal and there's oh, well, no skin yeah, there at yeah, all. Yeah, so yeah, that's really, a robot. Yeah. Or the last P- POS, which we won't even go into. Yeah. Okay. I just have to hold tight to the fact that they played You Could Be Mine. <laughs> yeah. For like 10 seconds. So yeah, Blade Runner was yes. kind of a, a futuristic noir. Yes, and and it is a visually movie. stunning movie that holds up from that perspective. It's 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 still a marvel to look at. Mm-hmm. Its story is a little dense and convoluted. It went through how many incarnations, how many times do we get the super duper deluxe director's yeah, right. special edition <laughs> release? <cut>. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz initially I guess they weren't going to have um Harrison Ford narrate over the entire yeah. picture, but they did to help fill in yeah. gaps and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It also starred Sean Young, Rutger Hauer, um, um, Byron, uh, is it Byron James? Byron James. Mm, don't know. Yeah, he was, um, oh, for the love of Pete. We talked about him just the other day. He was in the horror show. Remember I said he uh, was with Tim Thomerson. He was in, um, oh my God, we're going to sit here for 20 minutes while I just try to remember this. <laughs> Get a little shovel. Dig yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm tired. It's late, folks. On a, this end, it's it's late. But yeah, it, it, it's it's got a great cast. Obviously, Ridley Scott, you know, is fantastic director. Uh, oh, yeah. Daryl Hannah, Edward James, almost forgot they were in it. Um, just please look this up before I stop talking about this. It's Byron James, right? B i r o n. Brian James? No, Byron. B y. I'm sorry. B y r o n. Right. No, I got a Brian James. Is it B R I O N? 
Yeah. Okay, man, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, you're right. It's Brian. That's maybe I was screwing myself up. Yeah, it's Brian James. I yeah. was close. I was close. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those big bads that you recognize no matter what he's in. Um, he was in uh, The Wrong yeah. Guys. That was why we were talking about him being with Tim Thomerson. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. also in Fifth Element, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he, yeah he actually passed away not that long ago. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so it was yeah. that long ago. It was uh, 99. Okay, well, to me, that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, Blade Runner. Anyway, Blade Runner. Yeah, Deckard. <laughs> You know he's a, he he's a Blade Runner. He hunts the replicants down. I don't want to give too much away. Like I said, it's 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 one of those stories that it's not. This movie's about the atmosphere and about yeah. the look and feel of it more than it is yeah. about just the story. It, it almost plays like a dream yeah. in some aspects. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out. Blade Runner, nineteen eighty two. So Jay, any final wor- uh, words before we uh, get into the uh, the voicemail number and all that good stuff? I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> so we'd like to throw the voicemail number out at the folks. I would. Give us a call anytime, anywhere. We will play your message, no matter how crazy. JV. 206-203-0491, and all long-distance rates apply. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And be sure to check us out on ForgottenFlicks.com. Uh, you can follow Jason on Twitter at Flicks Sidekick. I am Forgotten Flicks. Check out our Facebook page. We've got a couple of uh, new people joining, it seems like, on a regular basis. And be sure to check out uh, iTunes, where you can you know download the podcast, subscribe to it, and leave reviews. We always appreciate reviews. So, uh, did I leave anything out, Jay, that you can think of? Uh, no. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Oh, and these oh, we got a couple. Yeah, if you want to catch up on a yes. couple of our future episodes, we have um, um, Goonies is coming up next. Yeah, that's and our then, next episode. Yep. Yep. And then, and then this October Spooky Flicks Fest, five straight weeks of 1980s horror. And right now, as it stands at the recording of this episode, the top two episodes are ready top, for it. Top two movies. Okay, top two that's movies. That's okay. Sorry, top two movies are Phantasm. And the Monster Squad. And please don't mock me, because technically Phantasm is not 80s. It came out in 1979. But it's close enough. But we watched it in the 80s. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it was directed by Don Coscarelli, which makes it awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so those are the top two. It, it's looking like Phantasm might be the winner. But as the yeah, time, at the time it's recorded, we don't know. So by the time yeah. the next episode comes out, the next episode, which, of course, is our Goonies, the Goonies, excuse me, special. Yep. Know how special it will be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We will make the announcement of what we'll have a winner. the first movie will be and who will be joining us. Because another bit that we haven't really let the cat out of the bag on is we will have a guest host with each episode. Oh, each yeah. episode of the October Spooky Flicks Fest, making it and a real party affair. Guests. Yes, they yeah, are. They're yes. awesome guests. Yes, I mean, they are. No slackers yeah. in here. That's right. Not like us. No, these people actually yes. work for a living. We have professionals. Yeah. <laughs> And know what the hell they're talking about. So, on that note, folks, we bid you a fond farewell. And just remember... Your move, creep.